Yo, you're about to tune into an epic interview with ARK Invest that I recorded on Monday of this week, all about the long-term trajectory of Square Stock, the company's potential to become this digital bank, uh, next generation sort of digital wallet company that I think has so much potential. I actually became a Square shareholder, uh, bought a tiny amount of stock because I'm so, so into this vision and the potential of what Square is building. But we left out a huge elephant in the room in this interview that I just keep thinking about um, since we recorded it, which is that Square's business could get cut in half. Um, revenue could go down 50% or more if this economy shutdown continues. Um, their customers are small businesses that are now, uh, most of them have been forced to close um, because of this illness 19. And if the shutdown continues, um, this is going to have a huge impact on Square's financials and it could get ugly in the near term. So just think, think that's super important to remember um, when you listen to uh, this interview. Anyway, please enjoy. What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we've got something really exciting lined up. We're going to be talking all about Square um, with some of the members of the ARK Invest team. Um, really excited. I just bought Square stock and ARK Invest. I've um, been following the research on the company uh, for over a year now. I think they're some of the, the best thought leaders on Square. Um, so joined by two of their analysts today, um, Max and George. Really, uh, really thankful for you guys coming on the show. I'm wondering if we could start um, with you introducing yourself and then maybe giving a little bit of just an overview of what your thoughts are on Square and, and how you think about their business. Yeah, thank you. Max, Max Friedman, covering uh, Square and tech companies at ARC. I'm on the FinTech team together with George. Yeah, I've been also following a little bit of your stuff. Uh, I saw your uh, in the in the Ark Invest office uh, here the, here and there as well. So thank you uh, for being here. Um, George, uh, I joined Ark back in August of 2019. Uh, prior to that, spent about five years at Square, uh, predominantly working on the small business lending arm, Square Capital. Awesome. So Max, maybe you could start and just give us a high level of how you think about Square, uh, the company, and their two different business lines of the seller ecosystem and then the cash app ecosystem. Sure. So our thinking um, on Square is basically uh, three parts. Uh, it starts um, with kind of, um, you know, what we think about the merchant side, uh, which is kind of their legacy uh, point of sale hardware business. That also includes all the software services. Um, so, so that's kind of uh, one, one of the ecosystems. Second one is their consumer ecosystem, um, the Cash App, uh, where I've been doing a lot of research in recent months. And then the third part um, of our thesis and uh, what really is unique to Square, I think, is the possibility of merging those two ecosystems, right? So there are not so many companies out there that you know, have um, direct kind of digital endpoint access to both merchants and consumers. And um, yeah, the, the, the merging of those two, um, you know, is, is, a, is a very interesting opportunity as well. And you can also put, you know, things like Square Crypto and what they're doing around Bitcoin and so forth also in that bucket. So that's kind of our thinking. Um, George, maybe you want to piggyback on that. And I'm curious, maybe a little bit more, if you could dive into what was the opportunity there, like in terms of, uh, you know, digitizing essentially what the ATM and, and cashier experience is and, and how you guys think about that opportunity. Um, and then we can get into the cash app, which I feel like started as like almost a side hustle for the company, but has now seemingly become like just as big of an opportunity. Yeah, sure. Um, no, I think Max did a good, good overview, uh, high level overview of the company. I mean, we're, we're particularly interested, um, you know, on the small business side, it's, it's pretty fascinating to think that, you know, just, just about 10 years ago, uh, it took about two weeks to get it, to get access to a credit card processing machine. Um, and Square sort of upended that industry and, and really moved the goalposts on, the, on that industry. Uh, allowing people to, you know, accept credit cards uh, by by simply plugging a, a credit card reader into their headphone jack. So, you know, I think that's just important context of like where where the industry has come from. So, you know, they went from you know a two week approval time down to something like, uh, you know, five minutes um, over the course of the, of of the last ten years. Um, and and I should note that you know prior you know in in two thousand eight two thousand ten. Um, time frame, you know, you used to have to, as a as a prospective uh, credit card processor, you used to have to have to get to get a hard credit pull. Um, that's no longer needed because Square's done a really good job of sort of 
um, you know, just underwriting uh, prospective merchants. Um, and what that's really enabled is, is this, you know, these, these much smaller merchants gaining access to credit card processing. So, you know, if you think about, you know, early 2000s, there was basically no, uh, no like small coffee shops that would accept credit cards. Um, and now, now that's possible. Um, so th I think that's pretty interesting. And then what they've done a really good job of is just, you know, adding services on top of that, adding software, software services. And it's not, you know, these aren't revolutionary products, but they are for the small businesses, right? Like, you know, the likes of Walmart and Target have had, have had, you know, very sophisticated marketing campaigns. Uh, now Square has brought that to the masses. So they're taking the same playbook of, of the credit card processing and, and bringing it, bringing it down downstream to the rest of, uh, to the rest of the business market. And what excites you the most about the value opportunity for Square there? Is it just uh, processing transactions? I know on their new slide deck they released, they put that as a big sliver. Is it lending to these small businesses? Is it software services on top, like managing payroll or that kind of stuff? Or where, where do you see the value? Or is it that entire ecosystem coming together like, like never before, really? Yeah, I think it's, I, I really believe in the, in, in the latter, uh, you know, part where, um, they've done such a good job of, of putting a hook out there for small businesses and that's the credit card processing. Um, and then, you know, in order, in order to get businesses on, uh, you know, new products, it doesn't actually take that much. So, you know, if I'm a payroll provider today, um, you know, I'm not even talking about square, it costs me a lot of money to acquire a, a new customer, right? Whereas if I'm square, I already have a huge base of customers that I can sell into and so their customer acquisition costs are, are, are much, much lower. And that's, that's a theme that we see and we've been following, not just on the small business side, but also on, on, on the consumer side with the cash app. It's that, that customer acquisition cost is so low that it allows them to be much, much more creative um, than, than, than traditional businesses. And now we can get a little deeper because this is actually something I really wanted to cover, which is you said you worked in the small business uh, or the lending part of Square, right? Yep. Um, because that's sort of what is the crux of the issue now is a lot of people are concerned like, oh, this whole slowdown with the current economic crisis is going to cause less people to go, which could hurt this sort of loan portfolio of Square. So I'm curious if you could talk about that. And then also uh, the opportunity there, because I see so much uh, like when I think of if you go to a bank and try and get a loan for your business, like that just seems so old school versus, you know, Square looking at all of your data in real time, seeing your transactions, seeing how much you make per day, and then using that and sort of this automated approach to just ping their most, you know, efficient sellers and give them capital when they need it. It just seems like sort of the 2.0 version of small business lending. And I know they're like, they do a little bit of, I think it was like 2.4 billion in loans last year, it's not growing like crazy, but I feel like that business alone has huge, huge potential. And given that you worked on it and now with this whole crisis, it's kind of coming to top of mind. I'm curious if you could like give us some insight into that piece of Square. Yeah, it's definitely a pretty interesting time uh, to be talking about Square Capital. Um, yeah, I, mean, I would say like, you know, just taking a step back, one of the common themes, um, you know, Square Capital had started uh, shortly before I joined uh, the company, but um, I think I think what was most interesting was was basically that in talking with merchants, uh, we realized that they were having you know really big issues um, growing, and and a lot of that revolved around getting access to credit. Um, so what Square has done is sort of uh, flip the paradigm in that if you were a small business prior to joining Square. You would have to go to a you would have to go to a bank and fill out a paper application. What Square does now is they look at the credit card processing and based off the credit card processing that they're seeing in real time, they will put an offer in front of of these merchants. So it's a proactive outreach saying, hey, you could qualify for up to this amount if you go through um, you know this application process based on what we're seeing today. So I think that's a really interesting point. And again, goes back, again, going back to the customer acquisition cost theme, you know, they're already sitting right in front of the customer. They're a trusted entity with these part, with these small business partners. Um, so it puts them at a really unique uh, point, you know, in, in, in that funnel. Um, I would say, you know, just given recent events around coronavirus, um, I thought the company actually did a pretty good job uh, alleviating investors' concerns around the loan portfolio. One of the things that they stated, which wasn't as widely known, 
um, is that Square sells the majority of the loans off to, to third-party investors. So they're sharing the risk with, with these third parties and the third parties are interested in that they, they can get access to higher yielding you know, debt instruments. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty interesting. It remains to be seen, you know, what's, what's going to happen. Um, we're, we're particularly interested in, in, you know, any potential stimulus, uh, like flowing through, uh, square to directly to businesses. Cause you know, if we go back to what's the value proposition for square capital, it's that it can, businesses can not only apply for a loan, but they can get access to those funds and want to do business days. Now, if we compare that to traditional uh, lenders, we're talking about a two-week time frame, typically, um, at best. You know, going through an application process and whatnot. And you know, Max and I have spent uh, the better part of the last couple of weeks talking a lot about this. Is just you know, an unprecedented uh, you know market drawdown where you see thirty percent of the value just fall uh, out of nowhere, um, or not necessarily out of nowhere, but all of a sudden you need to respond with speed. So we spent a lot of time like looking at uh, why this opportunity actually makes sense for the federal government. You know, you have something that, that uh, really affected small businesses in such a short period of time and, and that drastically curbed their, uh, their revenue potential. Um, so you need to respond to a crisis that has happened quickly with speed. And we believe Square, PayPal, other fintech lenders such as Intuit um, have really good opportunities to actually distribute aid to these small businesses that are desperately in need of, of uh, short-term working capital. Yeah, and it's really cool. I read this story about um, Square wanting to set up, a, or I think it was on their conference call, setting up a website for gift cards that you could purchase for your favorite small businesses and the way they were forgiving certain loan payments. Like it really just seemed like they were on the small merchant side, um, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, um, I mean, it's just it, it's just another way that they can leverage their network and 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 help people uh, simply. Uh, help help their favorite businesses and and you know I'd say like one of the other themes that that we see across Square is that they're just a really agile company. You're like you don't see many companies that are able to spin up a, a website directory where yeah you know any any consumer can search uh, search by zip code or address and and simply uh, you know buy 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 a gift card to support the local businesses that 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 they love. Um, that's a that's a pretty unique offering there. Yeah. So, um, Max, maybe I'm, I'm curious, I, I could ask you this. Um, I'm looking at the, their new Square Investor deck, which I'm going to link to because it's so cool. So they say the seller ecosystem in the U.S. is an $85 billion opportunity, 20 million businesses, $6 trillion in receipts, um, and that results in an $85 billion TAM. So I'm curious, is that like I always see Square put these huge numbers and they say we're like two to three percent penetrated. So do you re realistically think Square is going after all of that? And how do you think about the commoditization of other companies. Like I think there's like one called Clover and sort of these like seller replicas of Square. Are those really a threat or is this just such a big opportunity that um, there's gonna be a couple winners? I think there is such a big opportunity. On the other hand, big numbers are always better uh, to attract attention and um, you know, these, these presentations get a little bit more interesting. But I really think that is the, the opportunity out there. Um, and you still see that so many businesses still use those kind of legacy um, solutions. Um, I think one um, good line that uh, Square talked about, or rather the management talked about, I think it was in the Q3 uh, 2019 call, was that Square has great brand awareness, but not so great product awareness, meaning a lot of you know, merchants know Square the brand but they don't know actually what Square is able to offer versus what they use or what other providers in the market use. They don't know about the you know, number of, of software solutions um, that support kind of this um, commoditized payment solution. Being the first company to tackle this, pro uh, this problem you know, 10 years ago, that, that does a lot to your DNA as a company. You know, Square uh, started off you know, from, literally from scratch. They had to build all those products in the merchant as well as in the consumer ecosystem from scratch. Um, you know, they had to solve a problem that led to another problem, to a solution. So they got this kind of intertwined um, kind of company structure of problem solving and solutions and so forth. Yeah, it's been pretty incredible to watch Square compound revenue so quickly. I think even in the first two months of this year, they said 
Um, their seller ecosystem was up 32% in gross profit. And so just to watch them continually grow that has been pretty uh, impressive, especially considering the scale. And now I want to move into Cash App because this is what I'm totally fascinated on is this app that I thought was literally just them copying Venmo and it was just like had no value to it. And then in the past five years, according to your, your research, actually, Max, on Twitter, you said that it was bigger than Venmo. And then I started diving into the financials and Cash App has been a huge growing piece of, of Square's gross profit and, and becoming a bigger and bigger part of the story. So I'm curious just at a high level if, if you uh, guys could explain, you know, what is Cash App um, and why has it gained so much traction? Sure. So first of all, traction. Uh, we put out an estimate of, of active users for there before both of them published um, their user base or the user numbers. Um, and it turns out that Venmo actually is still in front of by a somewhat narrow margin. Um, so uh, yeah, Venmo has around 52 million annual active users. Uh, Cash App has around 24 million. However, their annual active, their annual actives that, you know, again, putting it kind of uh, equal to, to Venmo, probably slightly lower, but all in all, they're huge, um, you know, financial platforms. Uh, Venmo has more um, annual actives, um, if, if you want to compare it to banks, than all the large banks in America, than, than JP Morgan and, and, and so forth. Just, just to kind of br bring that into perspective, these are huge uh, platforms. But as you said, a lot of people uh, think of them as just these you know, peer-to-peer -peer payment platforms that, you know, have just one use case, which is to send each other, you know, money here and there to your parents and so forth or friends. What, what Cash App has done over, over the years since uh, starting Cash App in 2013 was really evolving from this kind of purely peer-to-peer -peer payment platform uh, into a digital wallet. Um, and that term really originated in China, where you have WeChat Pay and Alipay, for those who know those um, applications, which really serve as um, a, an application on your mobile phone to do, um, you know, to, to access uh, multiple financial products, but also commercial products. So, for example, on um, WeChat Pay, you know, you can pay uh, your friends and family. Um, you can also pay at stores. Um, you can invest in stocks, you can order, um, you know, meal delivery, um, you have access to e-commerce and all these different functionalities basically in one application. And in China, um, WeChat Pay and 80% of the, of the digital wallet market. And uh, uh, in, in dollar terms, the amount of transactions that happen on these platforms last year were $36 trillion. That's nearly 3x the Chinese GDP. So this wow. is a big deal. Um, so now the question is, you know, will this be replicated around the world in the same manner? Maybe not in the same manner because of all different kind of reasons, cultural reasons, you know, payment infrastructure and so forth. But generally we see the transition kind of uh, all around the world in the U.S., including the U.S., um, you know, for um, consumer, the, the consumer financial life onto your mobile phone. And the cash app really has... Um, been you know the at the forefront of that um, uh, development in the U.S., where they developed their peer-to-peer -peer payments platform into this digital wallet that now offers you know also Bitcoin investing, um, equity investing. They have the cash card, which is their debit card, which you can use you know online or in store for payments, um, and and tied to that they have a rewards program called called Boost, which offers personalized boosts uh, or rewards, um, you know, at, at certain retailers and so forth. Um, so, so they've been able to build this, you know, from a um, probably, you know, money losing, potentially still is very likely right now because they're investing a lot, but not as much as in, in the past um, venture to, you know, a part of the business that if you exclude um, Bitcoin revenue, contributes between, um, you know, a, a fifth to a fourth of their overall revenue, which is very uh, powerful. 
Yeah, it's been a huge, um, there's one chart in their slide that shows how much of the gross profit it has been. And it's really started, it, it served to accelerate the gross profit growth of Square. And I'm curious, uh, maybe George, you could chime in on this. The, um, the product innovation, the cadence of these new features, like you're saying, stock investing, crypto, that's what's really blown me away of, of the Cash App is the, the pace of innovation and just the execution. Um, so I'm curious, who's, who's like the secret sauce? What's the team behind Cash App? And how have they just executed so unbelievably quickly here? Yeah, I mean, it, I think just just from a high level perspective, there's not there's not you know any one secret. But I would say what Max was alluding to you know earlier around the DNA, I think that's really really important. Um, so, you know, Jack has been an ardent supporter um, of Cash App you know since its inception. Um, Brian Grassadonia currently leads the team. Uh, he was actually uh, Square's first product manager. Um, and I think one of the, th the things from my perspective um, that, they, that they've done a really good job on is just really creating, creating teams that, uh, you know, have goals. So there's, uh, you know, they've talked about this in the past, but they've got, you know, a stock trading team um, that, that solely f works on that. Um, they've got a Bitcoin team. Um, and then they've also got Square Crypto. So I, th I think they've just done a really, really good job of, of creating an entrepreneurial environment and making sure that each team has the resources that they need to succeed. Now, not everything's going to succeed, but they've, they've done a pretty good job of both understanding, you know, really like what, like what the jobs are that need to be done. And that's, you know, taking a little bit from Clayton Christensen, the, the former, um, uh, Harvard Business School professor, um, and, and really, you know, taking that philosophy and applying it to this business setting. So really understanding what the customer needs. Um, and Max has done a really, really good job of, of, of looking at, you know, the, the consumer financial um, space and, and really, you know, last spring published a lot of really good research around, you know, the applicability of, of the cash app or, or rather the up the the usage of cash app geographically overlaid onto the fdic's um unbank and underbank map which is really really interesting which everybody should take a look at where it just basically shows you know there's a vast majority or there's a large population of the us that doesn't have access to um you know traditional financial products that you or i might have access to um, and that could be for any one number of reasons but traditionally what it's seen as being is is really just um, you know, the, the financial products that exist are dis, disadvantaged uh, or disadvantaged those, those with less money. So, you know, an overdraft fee, for instance, is how uh, banks have, have made up a lot of revenue, um, you know, post-financial crisis. So that, that has like a, a lot of implications for someone that doesn't have as much money. Whereas, you know, if I have $100 in my bank account and I get an overdraft fee and it's for $20, that's 20%. Whereas if I have, you know, a thousand dollars in my bank account, it's not as big of a deal. Right. So it's really just understanding what the customer needs are and then building products around that to support these customers, which then create this, you know, viral effect of, Hey, this product's really useful. I should use it. My friends should use it. So on and so forth. So I think that's, that's to me, what I've seen as, as cash apps, you know, secret sauce, but also again, you know, just going back to, you know, clear support from, from the top of the company um, down through that entire team. So this is a new question, but Cash App makes money in three ways, spending, sending, and investing. And could, but I don't, and they say they, they're making like 30 bucks a user, but when I use Cash App, I'm not spending any money. It's free to trade Bitcoin, free to buy a tiny piece of a stock, free to send money. Uh, so maybe you could just break down like really simply, how is Cash App actually making money? 458 million in gross profit is huge. You know, this is a, a huge business, but as a consumer, I'm not paying any money. Uh, on the, I'll take the Bitcoin side. Uh, the, on, on Bitcoin, they, they actually are charging a fee now. They used to not charge a fee. Um, then okay. I think met this past fall, they charge a nominal, like it, it, it's tiered based on how much you're actually buying. Uh, but Max, correct me if I'm wrong, it's right around like 1.6 or 7%. So somewhere, somewhere right, right in that neighborhood. Um, and then, you know, if you're spending money using um, using Cash App, uh, uh, Max brought up the debit card, right? So they'll, they'll collect interchange fee from that. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, it, I, I was actually going to mention this earlier. It's really interesting seeing seeing the uh, evolution of the products and how they monetize them, right? So 
exactly what they're doing on the, um, you know, on, on, on the commercial side, which is, you know, creating like really sticky products. Um, they're doing the same thing on the consumer side. And then only once they've seen some sort of, you know, call it terminal usage, then they'll turn on the monetization scheme because it's, it, because it's a product that's, that's more fully fledged. So they'll, they'll roll a product out and it, it might not be as, um, you know, as sticky. So for, for instance, with, uh, with Bitcoin, they allowed you to buy Bitcoin, but then you couldn't really do anything. It was just, it was just sort of in that wallet. Now they allow you to withdraw the Bitcoin and so on and so forth. So it's really a matter of just getting, you know, a minimal viable product out into market and then seeing like how, like what the adoption of that product is like, and then, you know, figuring out ways to monetize it afterwards. And I'm curious if you, if you guys could put a valuation on, on Cash App, how you think about this, because I, I did a video recently where I valued them around 10 to 15 billion. And the more I looked into their business lines, I was like, wow, this is really, like you said, a digital wallet of the future. You know, Robinhood is worth 5 billion and they do stock trading. Cash App just launched that. They're just doing crypto with Bitcoin. They're competing with Coinbase now that you can send payments to the UK. That's TransferWise. Venmo is worth a couple billion dollars, just peer-to-peer payments. Like they're literally like, I see them taking market share and in theory market cap from, you know, $4 billion financial services at once. And it feels like they're just becoming quietly this stealthy, like digital wallet or AKA like new digital bank uh, for consumers. And I feel like this is a huge, huge opportunity. So I'm curious, how do you think about valuing something like this that is such a new business model and also so early um, in its growth and product life cycle? Sure. So I think it's, um, you know, we believe that the cash app uh, is, is still undervalued. Uh, you see from the investment op- uh, community that, you know, they're, they're starting uh, more and more to look into it um, as it obviously also becomes a larger share. Um, it's, it's, it's hard uh, to, you know, put one number on that. Um, and if we had that, I don't know if, if you know, we necessarily would share it. <laughs> um, one one way to kind of think about it um, is to compare it to you know what some of the private fintech uh, companies that you mentioned what they do and what they value that and to actually the banks if you look at it from a per user um, uh, perspective um, you know a sample of the largest banks um, in America and um, you look at how many active accounts they have. And you look at, you know, how much revenue they make and their consumer banking part of the business, right? They have a lot of parts of the business, but just look at the consumer uh, banking part of the, of the business of these banks, um, knowing how many customers they have. You can do some math and, and find out that in terms of market cap, investors are paying between three and $4,000 per active That's kind of um, um, what kind of what the bank what a bank customer is is worth at maturity and and that you know includes several different things that people do at banks um you know they they put their deposit there um they they get a credit they get a mortgage you know all across different products um then you can look at um you know the 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 valuations of um fintechs you know take all these challenger banks chime here in the us viral money in the us you also have some European players like Revolut and 26, the Robin Hood of the uh, Robin Hoods of this world. Um, if you look at, you know, the valuation tags on these businesses and how many customers they have, uh, you'll see that venture capitalists are paying between $1,000 and $3,000 per user in valuation in these, in these funding rounds, which is actually quite a lot of money if you compare it to what the bank customers were, the delta isn't that big. You could argue that these private fintechs, you know, they don't rely on, um, you know, a branch infrastructure and all these employees. So their margins might be better. That would maybe justify, you know, that higher valuation because you can go higher as well at some point. Um, So compared to those two categories, you can look at the cash app and just based on Square's, um, you know, financials across the company, if you take the price of sales multiple across, you know, whole Square, um, and do the math again in terms of what market cap investors uh, are paying for one active cash app user, that number actually is around between one hundred and two hundred dollars. 
is a lot, lot less. Um, now, probably investors are valuing cash up to, at a little premium, you know, to to the kind of legacy Square company, right? You could act, you could argue that investors are valuing different parts of Square at a different multiple. Um, but just kind of leaving that aside, because like I said, a lot of the investor community still hasn't kind of caught on what Cash App is doing. It's, it's still fair to say that Cash App likely is valued at a, at a huge discount to both private unicorns as well as the big banks. And that is kind of the opportunity that I was talking about earlier in terms of evolving this peer-to-peer payment platform you know, to this digital wallet, to this really banking platform. If you read the Cash App job postings, they're talking about themselves as a global banking platform. They want to grow into that. And, you know, you can do the math, um, you know, on, on Square as a whole or on Cash App as a whole. You know, if, if these millions, you know, now there are 24 million active, uh, monthly active Cash App users, if they were not valued at $100 or $200, but rather at 1,000 or 2,000 or maybe 4,000 or 5,000, um, you know, Square's market cap uh, looks completely different. Um, and the, the challenge, um, you know, from, from our perspective for Cash App really is to, you know, educate investors about the potential of this kind of user valuation transformation, but then obviously also get more and more people to use the different products. Um, you know, to, to create that revenue that would, um, you know, kind of sustain that um, or, or, or allow for that kind of valuation. And also, um, George alluded to this, also potentially move up from the underbanked, unbanked community to a more kind of financially sound user base. Um, because, you know, that's where, you know, more cash can be generated off every customer. You know, if you're, you know, spending more, if you're investing more and, and so forth, obviously, you know, with a fee-based model, um, they, that, that's an important issue as well. And in our work, um, looking, you know, you can't really look in, into the company, how they're doing that transition from the kind of unbanked, underbanked to more, um, you know, financially sound, maybe Venmo-like user base, have this college user base and so forth can't really look into it directly because obviously they don't share that data. But what you can look at is Google Trends and kind of how Google searches for the Cash App um, evolve over time. And there we see that the areas with the highest growth in terms of, you know, um, new areas where people are searching for the Cash App online is actually coming from from these non-Southern U.S. states. So George, like George said, southern u.s states you have a lot of um, concentration of unbanked and underbanked communities cash app is really strong there right now but in at least in google trends you see them moving into other geographies where um, you would expect um, a little bit um, you know um, higher educated higher median income population and so forth Um, so so that really is is the challenge there Um, but but if they can do it you know, it's it's a huge value unlock and and you know, uh, great from a valuation perspective. Just to just to add on there, I think like one of the more unique things about uh, Cash App is is their marketing strategy. Um, and and just like two 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 examples to contextualize how how they actually engage with with their uh, customers on an ongoing basis, but also acquire customers. One, it's it's particularly interesting, you know, given you know the 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 crisis that that the U.S. is in, it's it's uh, it's great to see uh, a company reaching out to uh, to its customers um, on all forms of social media. So, um, one of the products or features, I should say, that that Cash App has is the cash tag. So when you sign up, um, you know you can have uh, a cash tag, and uh, Cash App will actually have these um, you know rewards programs um, or or Cash App Fridays um, on Twitter um, and actually send money directly to uh, to users. Um, and so they not only have a Cash App Friday, but they also have um, you know they just post your cash tag. And so Square is actually giving out aid to uh, to those that are in need. So I think that's that's absolutely amazing from a financial institution perspective. We've never seen 
you know, a financial institution that, that engages with consumers on social media. So that's one interesting part. And then the other um, interesting part, which, which is sort of what Max was alluded, or, or talking or getting at, which is around, you know, trying to go up market and trying to, um, you know, uh, penetrate new, um, new demographics. Um, you know, two weeks ago we saw, um, they, they hosted a tournament on Twitch, um, you know, with gamers such as, um, Ninja, um, a hundred thieves and whatnot. And, uh, and I think it was like a hundred thousand dollar tournament that they hosted. And so, you know, you're seeing them like penetrate a totally different, you know, form of social media, but then also a completely new demographic, um, what we think is a, is a new demographic. So I think that's, that's just a really interesting thing that, that where, where, where we are very impressed with, with the company on, on, on that. Um, on that yeah. Aspect. Yeah. It's funny. And, and that just Kali, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think it's such an important point to make. So uh, just to add to that kind of from a higher level perspective uh, in, in their investor deck that they big uh, total addressable market number for, um, and, and what that just means is that, you know, the opportunity is, is huge. There are a lot of, you know, you, you can acquire, but there are also a lot of companies obviously going for. So two of the main challenges are acquiring those customers in that huge market, but then also uh, retaining them, right? Kind of keeping them from churning off to the next cool. Um, what they're doing with these um, really marketing campaigns that that George has talked about be it on Instagram on Twitter is you know they're they're inserting their um, application with these into these you know different communities and kind of let them spread um, which is you know really uh, beneficial for them also from a customer acquisition uh, because as as one user um, of this network your value of, of the cash app increases as a function of the overall number of people on there, right? It only makes sense if all your peers and friends and family are also on there. Every user is actually motivated to also sign up others in their community, which is a super fascinating effect. And, you know, where they have uh, what we think is a clear competitive advantage over other standalone fintech apps where you don't have that. And you can even add on top of that and say that peer-to-peer -peer, um, networks, this effect stronger than for social media, where you also had that, you know, it's the same. It also only makes sense if, you know, your friends are on Instagram as well. But, but the effects could be even stronger on payment networks. Incentive to bring on maybe your parents, your grandparents actually also there, whereas you don't necessarily want your parents following your Instagram stories, you know, about your uh, last party or something. So these effects could actually be stronger, you know, with Cash App and Venmo. And that, you know, and, and combining, you know, that onboarding with multiple products, um, you know, like investing, um, like, like Bitcoin investing, um, is, is basically creating the situation where the users are invested in your product. They're tied to number, you know, you know to a number of products. Um, if you're now kind of, if you have established the cash app or Venmo as a default payment option between you and your friends, it's very hard for you to just leave that network because now if you're at dinner and you want to split the bill and you're the only one not have the whole thing turns into a kind of an uncomfortable social situation where you adapt to somebody, right? It's not like you just deleted this random FinTech app from your phone. This is actually a kind of a stress situation for you because you can't pay your friends back and these effects um you know could be much stronger than what you know a private fintech unicorn however millions of dollars of funding they they got um it's really hard for them to recreate those effects yeah the viralness of cash apps marketing i feel like their marketer deserves some award like they went viral on TikTok with all these like hashtags um, and then they, you mentioned 100 Thieves. Didn't they partner on some sort of store or esports e location? Uh, do you, either of you guys know about that? So they, they, they had a partnership with 100 Thieves. They actually started last May 2019. They signed the, the first partnership with them. 
uh, and then in January this year, they um, they, they they put together the uh, 100 Thieves uh, X Cash App compound, which is uh, I think one of the first um, kind of um, yeah uh, multi-functionality uh, kind of compounds for esports teams. So you know, game departments of the of 100 Thieves can train there. Um, they also have you know media rooms to record content. Um, they can also uh, show their merch. It's really uh, a kind of holistic approach. Yeah, it's so cool. So I'm going to uh, give you guys a little rant to set you up for the last question, which is my theory of why I'm so excited about Square and this opportunity is I see um, the convergence of these two ecosystems. And I think there's a third like storyline I want to tie into that, which is a couple years ago, Square obviously launched their crypto solution. But in the background, we've seen Jack Dorsey then buying a ton of Bitcoin, be a huge proponent of Bitcoin, say it should be the internet's backbone currency. He's also an angel investor in a company called Lightning Labs, which is building layer two solutions for the Bitcoin network. And it seems like we're setting up for this holy grail sort of convergence of cash app, um, square seller ecosystem, and then using Bitcoin layer two as the technology to connect all these customers with all these businesses. And if you look at Square's you know, opportunity slide, they have a $39 billion opportunity in transactions. And to me, which is their biggest one for their seller side, and to me, that's all coming up with a new payment technology to facilitate those transactions. So I'm curious, you know, this, how this rant, how you guys think about this, but to me, that's why I'm invested in it. And to me, that's the 10x, you know, 10 bagger scenario here is that Square pulls this off and they're able to, you know, charge less per transactions, but get a higher margin and then connect these two ecosystems with, you know, tens of millions of people become this sort of new era bank. And they are also simultaneously taking, you know, Bitcoin and crypto mainstream at the same time. Um, I'm also on Bitcoin. Um, but I just think this is such an interesting sort of like slow motion, uh, you know, weaving together of the next next wave of the whole financial system. Yeah, I can I can I can start with that. I definitely agree with you and and sort of the the merging of the two ecosystems being uh, being a, a compelling um, you know, an, an investment opportunity. That's, that's, you know, one, one of our thesis and, you know, it's why we're, we're, we're pretty interested in square. Um, you know, I would say that, um, from, from what, from what we can tell, just like reading through transcripts, listening to their management talk, um, uh, Amrita, uh, who's their CFO was at a investor conference, uh, last fall and basically alluded to, um, one way in which you know you'd start to see the two ecosystems come together was through a loyalty uh, a loyalty product. So if you think about you know Square's loyalty solution today, um, it, it it it's basically for businesses to attract and 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 drive new customers. But what if you know those those loyalty solutions were potentially you know uh, uh, you know put in in the cash app in, in in some way? So you know Emrita Emrita said that. So I think you'll start to see. From, from from our thinking, like we're sort of of the, of the opinion that you're going to start to see like a slow piecing of the two ecosystems together. Um, it remains to be seen, you know, what what could come, what, what will actually come first. But, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense if, if I have, you know, seven stars at a coffee shop and, uh, you know, a coffee shop is trying to get more traffic, then, you know, they, they could just send me a push notification or something like that. And it could potentially pop up in, in the cash app, um, as, as, a, as a way to bring me back into the store. Um, so that, that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, that makes a ton of sense to us. Yeah. And just to add to that, you know, uh, at ARC, we, we have a dedicated crypto analyst you've seen, um, we, you know, we've been looking into crypto since. Uh, this, the, the inception of the firm in 2014, um, released a, a Bitcoin white paper in 2015. Um, and, you know, you could talk about a lot of interesting things uh, uh, in, in the context of Square and crypto and also Square Crypto, which is their kind of designated um, arm of, of the company, which is, um, you know, I, I don't even know if I want to say arm of the company, because I think the very interesting thing about them um, is uh, you know taking this um, kind of open approach, um, an open source approach. Uh, there, there, there are a few Medium blog posts kind of talking about the vision behind Square Crypto, and uh, one of the opening lines uh, is why design uh, the the future of a company 
you can design the future of money. I think that sums up, you know, their approach to this whole venture um, of, you know, the, the future of Bitcoin, basically. Um, so I think they they also are kind of in, in the long crypto, long Bitcoin, especially game. And they just, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, I'm not that deep into the in the crypto world, but I think what you've seen uh, over recent years is that companies who um, uh, try to uh, kind of um, uh, kind of um, align themselves too closely with Bitcoin or kind of go on a little bit too edgy marketing campaigns and so forth, um, you know, not really earning the trust of the real Bitcoin community that was there for you know over ten years now. And Square is, you know, really playing this long game of being, you know, being open source and really kind of pushing this holistic development of the whole space. And I think then at some point, you know, you can, you can, um, you know, kind of uh, earn what what you've built over the years um, and insert yourself uh, in, you know, more detail in the in in you know in transaction flows or whatnot. I think they're very deliberate in in this um, in this approach. I think it's a very great approach. And you know, if you if you're thinking about it from a valuation perspective, I think that you know, like I said, a lot of investors probably are still not um, appreciating the the full potential of Cash App. I think really the majority is not thinking about these things we're just talking about, um, and and that's obviously very fascinating too. You can kind of get a sneak peek into what they might do if you look at some of their patents. I don't know if you've done that, um, Gary, but that's, 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 that's really fascinating. Um, so you can kind of uh, think about that. But obviously, you also have to know that you know patents are not that reliable. They just often they just want to kind of put everything out there, um, and and who knows with what they're going to follow up. But it's it's uh it's uh yeah like you said very very fascinating what they're doing on that and um yeah just one last point also about the company dna you know the um cash app already has like george said you know maybe a little bit different um dna that the overall square team um but then the square crypto team you know a little bit different as well uh very passionate in time having that um you know um top down um obviously from jack dorsey if you look at his twitter bio i think you know how much he likes this space <laughs> so yeah so you, you actually just made me think of something max how big is, of there is an opportunity as we have more transactions in the seller ecosystem crossing with the cash app ecosystem this gift card thing for square to almost have like their own sort of virtual points or currency that trades around within their ecosystem that's sort of off chain of the main financial system where they're paying these huge fees you know is that something that you guys have explored or thought of yeah yeah i think that's kind of the holy grail of this whole uh thing is to uh, potentially create this closed loop payments network uh, and and kind of cut out a lot of the intermediaries that are in in the uh in the flow of a, of a transaction how it's happening today as you also have alluded to um, kind of in, in your question before, then you can probably um, think about whole different margins and, and things like this you can do. I think that's also what they're shooting for. I think that's what you hear when you listen to their um, conference call uh, conference calls. I think Jack uh, really tries to push this narrative and kind of wants to educate on the uniqueness that that Square, um, you know, possesses in terms of having the merchants and the consumers and potentially merging to um you know in in practicality obviously this is a little bit um more difficult than just saying oh yeah they're just going to merge these two right it's, it's obviously going to require um, a lot of effort but like we discussed before on the podcast i think if there's one company that you know could fulfill this um square is definitely one of them um and uh yeah you know they also have to work a little bit. This this again goes to what George said earlier and what I talked about, kind of um, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, you know, moving a little bit up the funnel in the cash app. Um, because if you look at it, the kind of on a geographical basis, the the, the users of the cash app and 
the, the merchants on the square side are actually not that aligned. You know, you have square and a lot of um, coffee shops in New York and San Francisco and so forth. And right now you still have a lot of cash app usage concentration in the Southern US states. So there's a little bit of a mismatch, but you know, um, that, that could also turn into maybe an advantage because you can incentivize, you know, the uh, maybe merchants to open there because you can say you have a lot of cash up users or something. So, but there's, there's still a couple of, um, you know, problems to solve. Uh, but, but again, I think the big vision and uh, Jack Dorsey really wants to push that on investors as well. Gally, one other point that I just wanted to make on on sort of like the the potential of of this mer potential merging of the two ecosystems and sort of like one proxy that that really piques our interest or, or a past example of 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 Square innovating is um, I think it was in 2017 uh, Square reduced the time to uh, process a chip card transaction from 4.2 seconds to two seconds. Now, that's interesting in and of itself, but what's more interesting to us is they did so retro retroactively through through a software update. So, you know, if you think about their payment terminals today, which are software enabled um, and are constantly receiving software updates, um, it's not that big of a stretch to say, hey, like, you know, a merchant kit could opt in to you know accept some sort of you know digital digital payment. You know, we're not sure what that is, but but the simple fact that that is there and that ability is there, um, you know, gives us, uh, you know, some, some optimism on that, on that thesis. That, that also is there with Tesla, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's actually really interesting, you know, the verticalization um, that, uh, that Square has that, you know, a, a company like Apple has, a company like uh, Tesla has. Um, could really help them in the long run. Awesome. All right. Well, thank yep. you both so Thanks. much for joining. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And um, I'll, I'll definitely um, link to some of your research. I'm a huge fan of the way you guys put out your research publicly. I just think that does so much for the investing community um, and the hyperchange community really appreciates it. So thank you, um, George and Max. This was so fun talking Square. I hope we can catch up about it soon, see how uh, some of these theories played out. But yeah, thanks for taking the time to join. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks.